Better. <laughs> yes. Hey, all five foot eight of me would, you know, I'll do whatever I can to get taller. So is it coming through okay, Nathan? It is? Okay. As, as we continue our, our study through the books of the Bible, we, we come to Numbers. And I'd encourage you to turn there. We're going to be in various passages. And one of the exciting things about Numbers is, is really the title. It's, it's a peculiar title that we see in the Scriptures. And it's... It's titled Numbers after the, the Greek Septuagint, and uh, due to the fact we see a lot of counting, statistics, and, and just numbers in this book. But the Hebrew title that was given is actually taken from the first sentence in the book, and the Hebrew meaning is in the wilderness. I'd encourage you to look at those opening verses with me of Numbers. And it begins this way. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting. And remember, we talked about that. We see that there's, there's an intimate relationship that can now be because of the sacrifices that have been put in place. In the tent of meeting, on the first of the second month, in the second year, and they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, by the families, by their fathers' households, according to the number of names, every male head by head, three from twenty head. Three is the verse, never mind. From 20 years old and upward, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And we see the fighting men of Israel. We see this, this counting begin to occur in the book. And the next couple chapters are a lot of numbers. It's interesting when you approach this book, for this reason, many avoid just reading this book because sometimes your, your mind can just go numb with all those numbers. But this book, as we're going to see, is, is far more pertinent than we first give it credit to sometimes, at first glance. In the wilderness, this is a far more appropriate title as, as it encompasses the period of Israel as they wander in the wilderness. There's a wandering that we see occur here. Think about the wilderness for just a moment. By, by definition, wilderness is just an uninhabited area. It's, it's uncultivated. It's just open area. 
A lot of times it would be referred to as pasture land. It would be places that folks would take their cattle and their sheep out into the wilderness. In these areas of wilderness, there's not the, the comforts that you would often find in, in an area of civilization. There's not the ease there. Things can be harder. But as you look through the scriptures, you look at the wilderness, oftentimes we see care and protection extended in those, those seasons. It's not necessarily a desert. Oftentimes, especially when we look at the, the Sinai Peninsula, how many of you ever seen pictures of that? A few of you, yeah, it's, it looks like a desert now, doesn't it? You're like, oh my goodness, how could anybody and live in such a place? And, and many scholars and, and geologists even agree that at the time of Moses, it was probably more grasslands and, and, and so forth. It wasn't just dirt. It wasn't just barrenness. But there wasn't the, the comforts there. Often in the wilderness, we see God using those times for a focused teaching or purpose in the individual's life. Think about the wilderness times God has brought to you. And how God has focused something he wanted you to learn during that time we go through the pages of scripture and we see individuals like well the nation of israel as one for sure as we'll see but powerful prophets men of god like elijah we look at king david and his season in the wilderness and how god worked in his life it's because of the wilderness that we have some of the most beautiful psalms that we have Many others would spend time there, even Christ himself. As he begins his ministry, would go out into the wilderness. Forty days he would spend there. Here's the thing about a wilderness, though. Well, it may be free of distractions of the world, but it's not free of temptation. In fact, the temptations sometimes can be stronger. There is a desire for, for the things of the world sometimes more so in those seasons. The thinking of the world can, can become a, a strong temptation in those times and we often find ourselves struggling with whether we approach those seasons as the world would or as God would have us work through it they're hard and I don't think there's a person in here who has not gone through seasons in the wilderness Maybe you're there this morning. 
They always look different. But God has a purpose. And often God has a direction that he wants us to go. And with the temptation comes the opportunity for obedience or disobedience. The lesson in Numbers is very clear. As we see the wandering occur, there's, we find that it is necessary for you and I to go through these wilderness times. However, it does not mean that we should live there. We need to go through them, but it's not a place that we should live. Israel takes an 11-day journey through the wilderness. And because of a choice, or choices made, it turns into a 40-year-long agony due to their disobedience. The key word in this book of Numbers is wandering. It's one thing to travel through, it's another thing to wander. And in their wandering, in our wandering, we often deviate from God's plan for your life and mine. And they definitely deviated from God's plan for them. Crucial choices were made in those wilderness times. And the outcome of those choices have consequences, which we're going to see. When you look at the, the overview of numbers, it's, it's a book that spans 40 years. And, and several asked about the slides. They're now on the website on the sermons page. You can go and download all the PDFs there, so they are available but as we look at this book, it, we see three different sections, and, and we see two different groups. The first group that we look at is the old generation, the generation that is coming out of Egypt. The, the other generation that we're looking at is, is the new generation, the generation that's going to be going into the promised land. And God is working with both of these groups. And we see quite a contrast in these groups. The first three sections are a geographical kind of area. And I don't know how well you can see that map. You might even have one of these in the back of your Bible. But when we begin, all of Leviticus is basically around the area of Mount Sinai. And it's from Mount Sinai, if we're there, that we go up to Kadesh Bar Barnea. And it's there that a lot of this occurs in the book of Numbers. A lot of the events occur there, and it's the choice, the decisions that are made there that, that play out in the rest of the book. And they begin to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. 11 days. That's all it took to travel from here to there. Yet because of their disobedience, 40 years 
sin. Sin always brings chaos into our lives, doesn't it? There's, there's a disorder that, that comes, and we find ourselves rather in a straight path, wandering. Wandering's not a good thing. God doesn't want you and I just to wander through this life. As we, as we come to the close of the book, it's where God begins to deal with that new generation. It takes place over in the plains of Moab. They're right on the doorstep of the promised land. And God does some amazing things as He reorders this, this nation. Numbers 14 is kind of the theme verse, the, the key verse as, as we look at at this book. Verses 22 and 23 say this, Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. God wants us to listen. They shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. Do you realize what's occurring? Because of their disobedience, because of their response to God's direction, they will not go in to the promised land. Chapters 1 through 10 is, is three different things occur. And I'm going to try to take you through this, this book in a rapid succession. We're not going to go into any of these events in great detail, yet they hold importance for both the nation of Israel and, and the theme of Scripture altogether. But as we look at chapters 1 through 10, we see God counting and, and getting those people organized. We see that there are approximately over 603,000 men ready for battle over the age of 20. Most scholars speculate that there is well into probably 2 to 3 million people in the nation at this time. But God gets them organized. In fact, he even dictates how they are going to set up their camps. Think about it. If you have 3 million people, by the way, that's a lot of people. I mean, we have 5,000 in this town. Okay? 3 million's a lot. 3 million people, how are they going to camp? And God sets an order as they camp around the tabernacle. God is at the center of their camp. Worship, sacrifice is at the center of their daily living. And God places all the camps around. God sets in order how they are to travel. I mean, can you imagine moving a camp of several million people? I can't. 
I've tried to hurt a youth group through, you know, an airport before, and that's, that's hard enough. But we're talking about moving an entire nation. And God says, here's how you do it. And he sets it out. First, God leads the way. That's a good way to travel, by the way. If God is going somewhere, follow him. If he's not, don't go there. But God would lead their, the nation. After that, the Levites, the ones who led and interceded for them in their worship and sacrifice of God would go next. And then the following 12 tribes. And God said, this is how it's done. And there was order. And God established responsibilities. Work. Service. Do you realize that God from the very beginning in Genesis established responsibility? Responsibility is not a part of the curse. The difficulty in it is. But God establishes for them the things that they are to do, the way they are to serve. And I love that as you look at that, you see different ones have different responsibilities. It's the same in the church, folks. Each of us are gifted and given different roles and responsibilities to play within the community and the family of God. But chapters 10 kind of transition as they begin that first journey. In chapters 11 through 20, they, they begin to go, and guess what happens? They grumble. They complain. I know that's hard to imagine anybody doing that. I mean, you guys have been in church, and many of you, probably most of your life, there's never any grumbling or complaining, is there? <laughs> well, you know, the grumbling begins. Things get harder. And they complain and say, Oh, Egypt was better. It's amazing how quickly they forgot how they cried out to God, God, have you forgotten us? But they go and, oh, Egypt was better. Oh, we had meat there. Oh, Moses, you're such a horrible leader. We don't like you. I mean, grumble after grumble. And you know, we, we read that as we go through the book. And you know what? It annoyed God. In fact, it went beyond annoying him. It angered him. And it frustrated Moses too. But in, in chapter 11, verse 10, we read this. This is, this is how it made God feel. It says, Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. I mean, they're drawing everybody into this. Each man in his doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. That's something you don't want to do. And Moses was displeased. They're grumbling, they're bellyaching, they're complaining, angered God. So, God in his righteousness gives them what they want. You know, we need to be very careful what we complain about. What we grumble about to God because he may just give it to you. 
He's done that for me before. And you know what? It wasn't pretty. And as the people are like, oh, the meat. Oh, we had such good meat in Egypt. Listen to God's response to this. God's like, hey, Moses, I'm going to send meat. Moses, you know, thinking as a leader, he's like, God, do you know how much meat that's going to take? I mean, even if we ate all the animals and stuff, God's like, no, they're going to get meat for a month. God, we don't have that much meat. I'll take care of it. Continue on in chapter 11 and look at verse 32 with me. God sends quail. In fact, he caused a wind to cause all these quail to come. And it says the people spent all day and all night and all the next day. And they gathered quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. That's a lot. I mean, you lay that out and it's just a ton of birds. And they spread them all out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still in their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kidroth Hadava, because they buried the people who had been greedy. God's like, You want meat? Fine. You'll eat it till you die. Be careful what you ask for. Can you imagine they would turn against Moses? You know, Moses wasn't a perfect man. I appreciate that. I, as a leader, I look at different leaders in Scripture. I appreciate that we are given a lot of different examples in Scripture. I appreciate God gave us a perfect example in Christ. But this is what it says of, of Moses. And I want us to, to read this because we're going to look at his failure in just a second. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the uh, Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement of Moses. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three... Come out to the tent of meeting. Have you ever been called out by your parents like that? Can you imagine God saying this? You three, come here. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. 
even openly and not in dark sayings, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then would you not, were, were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed. That's God's take on Moses, just in case you're curious about their leader. God would come next, and we're quickly running out of time, so I'm going to go through this quickly. <clears throat> but God would send 12 spies into the land. How many of you have ever had this story and, and you, in Sunday school, and, and you're aware of God sending 12 into the promised land? Remember, they had an 11-day journey. They get to the doorstep, and God says, I want you to send 12 men out, the leaders. He says, I want leaders to go in and look. I have to read this to you. Look at what God says here. Numbers 13, 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men to, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan. Here's the next part. Mark these words. Which I am going to give the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. What a cool statement. What an amazing statement God gave them. Send these 12 out. They'll go look at what I'm going to give you. And they go out and they spy the land. And it is a land of milk and honey and, oh my goodness, the fruit. In fact, one bushel of grapes, which are pretty puny in our stores. I mean, you could pick them up with two fingers. I mean, I could even use the pinky, okay? They had to carry with two men with a rod between them and the bushel would just hang on there. This was the land God was giving them. He says, it is amazing. God says, I want you to go send these men out so you can see what I'm going to give you. And they come back and they report all those things. And they should have stopped there. But then there's ten of them that go, oh... There's big people there. There's fortified walls. There's bad people there. And they just go and turn the entire nation into a tizzy party. And they're like, oh, we can't go. God didn't say spy out the land to see if your armies could take them. God didn't say spy out the land to see if you're ready. God says spy out the land that I'm going to give you. Their response is pathetic, and I'll spare reading the verses, but I would encourage you to read chapter 14 of their response. They're like, we need to go back to Egypt. We need to forget this thing that God is telling us, and we're better off there. Let's find a new leader. There's two men, though. These men are, are, are two of my heroes in the Scripture. Joshua and Caleb. Men, let me encourage you, if you want a role model, role model after these two men. Joshua and Caleb in the midst of an entire nation that's going, oh, we can't do it. They're like, yeah, there's big guys 
trees over there. There's walls. Big deal. Have you seen our God? Church, there are obstacles we face. There are difficulties, struggles, all of that. And sometimes it's in the wilderness. But we need to look at our God. They tried so desperately to change the hearts of the people, these two men. God says, I'm going to wipe out this nation. Any 20 years or older are going to be wiped out. They will not see the land, but not Joshua and Caleb. They will see the land. God gives a beautiful tribute to Caleb in the scripture. Forty days they spied the land, so forty years they wandered. Choices. The choices we make. Count the cost of the outcome of your choice. Count the cost. Sometimes it's a high price to pay. It's interesting as we look at God in the pages of Numbers, as we reflect on who He is, we discover that God will let you waste your life. He will let you waste your life if that is your choice. He'll honor that choice that you make. But your life may be cut short. What a tragedy that they had in their grasp the ability to go in and receive the promised land. But instead they chose. It would have been great if Aaron and Moses would have been able to go into the promised land, but we see too their disobedience. God takes obedience serious. And their disobedience, God says, speak to the rock. Moses is frustrated with the people. He goes out to the rock and he hits it twice. He says, do we have to give you water? God says, no. Obedience, Moses. And for that, you won't see the land either. Death occurs over and over in the pages of Numbers. Well, it's hard to read, I mean, as you, as you see it, but in Romans 6.23, we understand that the wages of sin is death. And death occurs, God comes, He opens up the earth one time and swallows them. Another time a fire comes and consumes them. There's another where disease and plagues come. There's a beautiful picture demonstrated in the midst of death, though. There's a time where they are rebelling against God, and God sends poisonous vipers. 
And the people are dying. They're in pain and agony. And God tells Moses, as they cry out to God, he has mercy. God says, put a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up. All who look at it will be saved. But in chapters 20 through 36, we see God, a God of order, reordering things. He takes that new congregation, that new nation that's going to go in. We see a new high priest as Aaron passes it off to his son. We see Moses go and, and prepare Joshua to be the next leader to take him in. We see as God prepares these people, he's preparing Canaan as well. Canaan is terrified the land sees this nation as they approach, as they go into the plains of Moab, and the nation is terrified. So what do they do? They call a, a, a pagan prophet by Balaam. That is a funny story. The king of Moab says, hey, I'm going to hire you. I want you to curse these people. Balaam, I mean, his donkey thing is really funny, but Balaam tries to curse Israel, but God says no. And every time he tries to curse him, he blesses the nation. Over and over and over. This is terrifying the king of Moab. And in his final prophecy, he, as he tries to curse them, he offers a prophecy of a coming king that will come from Judah. A redeemer. He's starting to get a glimpse of our God. I'm loving these book studies because my picture of God just continues to increase. We have a magnificent God. They're counted once again. Once again, they're prepared to go into the promised land. When we look at that scarlet thread through this, through this book, the, the analogies and the, and the imagery of Christ is all over this. There's three that stand out. The rock that provided water in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians says this, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. We see a beautiful picture in, in the bronze snake that was lifted up. As death is consuming the people, they look to the snake. Jesus himself would declare of himself in, in John 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The coming king that would come first happened in David and the line of David would come Jesus the Messiah the king of kings lord of lords the one who would sit on the throne eternal we see this throughout the book numbers is a sad reflection of man's heart When you read it, you have the temptation to go, shame Israel. 
but as you read it with eyes open, it's a mirror to ourselves. We see Christ here who brings salvation. Christ who extends His mercy to you and I. But as we look at the pages of Numbers, we see a God who is holy, a God who is just. When we, when we look and, and consider who this holy God is, through the pages of Numbers, we see that He's a God of order. There is a way that He wants you and I to live our lives. And it's written out for us. When we look at God, we see that He is both sovereign and just. You and I need to approach Him with a holy reverence and fear. I believe we approach Him too flippantly. He's too comfortable for us sometimes. And the awe and the reverence that He deserves is gone. We see that He requires faith. You know, sometimes it's hard to trust Him, isn't it? Because the giants are real, the walls are big, the armies are approaching, and life is scary. And He has always demanded our obedience. Anything short of our obedience is sin. And we have all missed that mark. And I look at this. I look at Him. I look at my heart. I look at Israel. And I am amazed with his faithfulness. I am humbled how he remains faithful when I fall short, when I screw up, when I sin. Our God remains faithful God has extended mercy he extended it to the nation they didn't even know Balak and Balaam were up there trying to curse them God remained faithful and extended his mercy his protection God is just Your sin, my sin, demands His justice. So what do we do with that? Well, at the cross, God demonstrated both. Your sin and my sin deserve that. And the justice, the penalty was cast on His Son. 
No greater picture of justice has ever been displayed of God where he poured out his wrath on sin. No greater picture of mercy and grace is there than Calvary where he says, here's my son. Sin has a cost and Jesus paid it. God is just and he poured it out on his son. And he gives us a choice. And the choice is yours, the choice is mine. And he uses those wilderness seasons in our lives, in our hearts, our soul, to draw those to himself, to teach them how much he cares. When we look at numbers, we see God, we see ourselves. And we see the need for our Savior. I appreciate the next two weeks we have the opportunity to remember this great justice that God poured out and the great mercy and grace of His Son at Calvary. Whatever wilderness you're going through, I encourage you to make a choice that leads to God. Make a choice where He is directing. And if you haven't, make the choice to receive His Son. Let's pray. God, God, you know I had to rush through this book. But Lord, as we consider numbers, that you are truly a God who has an order, has a plan, and a purpose. You are one who faithfully shows yourself to us time and time again. Lord, I pray that we would pause. in that wilderness moment, free of the distractions, maybe bombarded by the temptation, and we would choose obedience. That we would choose to obey you whichever direction you're leading. God, I thank you for being a just God, I thank you for being a faithful God. And oh, God, I thank you for your mercy. Because I desperately need it. God, we all desperately need it. And we praise you. In Jesus' name.